Chapter 8 of A Bullet for Cinderella by John D. MacDonald. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. I called her at noon, and she answered on the tenth ring, just as I was about to give up. Her voice was blurred with sleep. Who's it? Tal Howard. Who? I spoke to you last night at the Aztec about Timmy Warden. You said to phone. I could hear the soft yowl of her complete yawn. Oh, sure. You just have some coffee or something, and then stop around here. I live at a place called the Glendon Arms. Give me about forty minutes to wake up. I wasted a half hour over coffee in a newspaper, and then found the Glendon Arms without difficulty. It was as pretentious as its name, with striped canopy, solid glass doors, mosaic tile lobby floor, desk clerk with dreary sneer. He phoned and told me I could go right up to Miss Roselle's apartment, third floor, 3A. The elevator was self-service. The hallway was wide. I pushed the button beside her door. She opened the door and smiled as she let me in. She wore a white angora sleeveless blouse, slacks of corduroy and a green plaid. I had expected her to be puffy, blurred by dissipation, full of a morning surliness. But she looked fresh, golden, shining, and clean. The great mop of black hair was pulled sleekly back and fastened into an intricate rosette. Hi, Tal Howard. Can you stand more coffee? Come along. There was a small breakfast terrace with sliding doors that opened onto it from the bedroom and the kitchen. The sun was warm on the terrace. We had coffee and rolls and butter on a glass-topped table. Last night was a waste, she said. He was a friend of a friend, a stuffed uniform until drink number ten, and then what? He goes with his hands like so. Zoom! Da-da-da-da-da! Gun noises! Fighter planes! I'm too old for toys. He had a lot of ribbons. He told me what they were for, several times. How did you track me down, Tal Howard? Through your sister. Dear God, Anita has turned into a real slob. It's that Doyle. Doyle allows that the sun rises and sets on Doyle. The kids are nice, though. I don't know how they made it, but they are. What's with Timmy? He was my first love. How is that cutie? He's dead, Tony. Her face lost its life. You certainly don't waste any time working up to that. How? He was taken prisoner by the Chinese in Korea. So was I. We were in the same hut. He got sick and died there, and we buried him there. What a stinking way for Timmy to go. He was a nice guy. We got along fine right up into the second year of high school, and then he started considering his social position and brushed me off. I don't blame him. He was too young to know any better. He left me to take a big hack at the dancing school set. My reputation wasn't exactly solid gold, she grinned. Nor is it yet. He mentioned you while we were in camp. Did he? He called you Cindy. For a long moment she looked puzzled, and then her face cleared. Oh, that! You know, I'd just about forgotten that. It was a sort of a gag. In the eighth grade we had a teacher who was all hopped up about class activities. 
I was the rebel. She stuck me in a play as Cinderella. Timmy was the prince. He called me Cindy for quite a while after that. A year, maybe. A pretty good year, too. I was a wild kid. I didn't know what I wanted. I knew that what I had I didn't want, but I didn't know how to make a change. I was too young. Gee, I'm sorry about Timmy. That's depressing. It makes me feel old, Tao. I don't like to feel old. I came back and tried to find a Cindy. I didn't know your right name. I found a couple, Cindy Waskowitz. A great fat pig, but nothing jolly about her. Brother, she was as nasty as they come. She's dead, too. Glandular trouble of some kind. Couldn't you go around wearing a wreath or singing hymns like crossing the bar? I'm sorry. Then there was Cindy Kirshner. Kirshner? Wait a minute. A younger kid. Teeth like this? That's right. But she had them fixed. Now she has a husband and a couple of kids. Good for her. She was the one who remembered the class play, or skit, or whatever it was, and the name of the eighth-grade teacher, Miss Major. She couldn't remember who played Cinderella, so I found Miss Major. She went blind quite a while ago, and, for God's sake, Tal, I mean, really? I'm sorry. Anyway, she identified you. I went out and saw your sister. I came here hunting for Antoinette Rossi. The way your sister spoke about you, when I couldn't find you, I tried the police. They told me the name you use. Then it was easy. She looked at me coldly and dubiously. Police, eh? They give you all the body details? They told me a few things. Not much. But enough. Enough so that when you walked in here, you had to act like a little kid inspecting a leper colony. What the hell did you expect to find? A room all mirrors? A turnstile? Don't get sore. You look stuffy to me, Tal Howard. Stuffy people bore me. So what the hell was this? A sentimental journey all the way from prison camp to dig up poor little me? Not exactly. And I'm not stuffy. And I don't give a damn what you are or what you do. The glare faded. She shrugged and said, Skip it. I don't know why I should all of a sudden get sensitive. I'm living the way I want to live. I guess it's just from talking about Timmy. That was a tender spot. From thinking about the way I was. At thirteen, I wanted to lick the world with my bare hands. Now I'm twenty-eight. Do I look it? No, you really don't. She rested her cheek on her fist. She looked thoughtful. You know... Tal Howard. Another reason why I think I jumped on you, I think I'm beginning to get bored. I think I'm due for some kind of change. Like what? More than a new town. I don't know. Just restless. Skip that. You said this wasn't exactly a sentimental journey. What is it? There's something else involved. Mystery, hey? What's with you? How do you mean? What do you do? You married? I'm not doing anything right now. I'm not married. I came here from the West Coast. I haven't got any permanent address. You're not the type. How do you mean that? That information doesn't fit you, somehow. 
so it's just a temporary thing with you. You're between lives, aren't you? And maybe as restless as I am. I could be. She winked at me. And I think you've been taking yourself too seriously lately. Have you noticed that? I guess I have. Now what's the mystery? I'm looking for something. Timmy hid something before I left. I know what it is. I don't know where it is. Before he died, not many hours before he died, Timmy said, Cindy would know. That's why I'm here. Here from the West Coast, looking for Cindy. He had something nice then. Like some nice money? If you can help me, I'll give you some money. How much? It depends on how much he hid. Maybe you admitted too fast that it was money, Tal. I'm noted for my fondness for money. It pleases me. I like the feel of it, and the smell of it, and the look of it. I'm nuts about it. I like all I can get, maybe because I spent so much time without any of it. A psychiatrist friend told me it was my basic drive. I can't ever have too much. If that really was your basic drive, you wouldn't say it like that, I don't think. It's just the way you like to think you are. She was angry again. Why does every type you meet try to tell you what you really are? It's a popular hobby. So all right. He hid something. Now I've got a big fat disappointment for you. I wouldn't have any idea where he hid something. I don't know what he means. Are you sure? Don't look at me like that. I know what you're thinking. You're thinking I do know, and I won't tell you because I want it all. Honestly, Tal, I don't know. I can't think what he could have meant. I believed her. The sun is actually getting too hot. Let's go inside, she said. I helped carry the things in. She rinsed the dishes. Having seen her the previous evening, I would have not thought she had the sort of figure to wear slacks successfully. They were beautifully tailored, and she looked well in them. We went into the living room. It was slightly overfurnished. The lamps were in bad taste, but it was clean and comfortable. She sat on the couch and pulled one leg up and locked her hands around her knee. Want to hear about Timmy and me? The sad story? Not sad, I guess. If you want to tell it. I've never told anybody. Maybe it's time. I turned fifteen before I got out of the eighth grade. I was older than the other kids. Timmy was fourteen. He was the biggest boy in class. We never had anything to do with each other until that skit. We practiced a couple of times. We got to be friends. It wasn't a girlfriend-boyfriend thing. More like a couple of boys. I wasn't the most feminine creature in the world, believe me. I could run like the wind, and I could fight with my fists. I didn't want Timmy to come out to the house. I was ashamed of where I lived. I never wanted any of the kids to see how and where I lived. My God, we lived like animals. It wasn't so bad until my mother died, but from then on it was pretty bad. You saw the place. I saw it. The old man kept pretty well soaked in his vino. My brother was completely no good. My sister slept with anybody who took the trouble to ask her. We lived in filth. We were on the county relief rolls. The do-gooders brought us food and clothing at Christmas and Thanksgiving. I was proud as hell inside. I couldn't see any way out. The best I could do was try to keep myself clean as a button and not let any of the other kids come out there. 
She came over and took one of my cigarettes, bent over for me to light it. Timmy came out there. It nearly killed me. Then I saw that it was all right. He didn't pay any attention to the way things were. I mean, it didn't seem to mean much to him. That's the way they were, so that's the way they were. He was my friend. After that, I was able to talk to him. He understood. He had his dreams, too. We talked over our dreams. When school was out that summer, he came out a lot. He used to cut lawns and make money, and we'd go to the movies. We used to swim in the river. He'd come out on his bike. He got hold of a broken-down boy's bike for me. He fixed it up, and I painted it. Then we could get around better. The relief people gave the old man a hard ride for buying me a bike. I had to explain how I got it and prove I didn't steal it. I can still remember the sneaky eyes on that cop. When it happened to us, it was sudden. It was in late August. I'd gotten a job in the dime store by lying about my age and filling out the forms wrong. I was squirreling the money away. I spent Sundays with Timmy. His brother and his father didn't like him to see me, but he managed it. He had a basket on the front of his bike, and we went off on a Sunday picnic. We went a long way into the country. Fifteen miles, I guess. We walked the bikes up a trail. We found a place under trees where it was like a park. It was far away from anybody. We could have been alone in the world. Maybe we were. We ate, and then we stretched out and talked about how high school would be when it started in September. It was hot. We were in the shade. He went to sleep. I watched him while he was sleeping, the way his eyelashes were, and the way he looked like a little kid when he slept. I felt a big warmth inside me. It was a new way to feel toward him. When I couldn't stand it any longer, I slipped my arm under his neck and half lay across him and kissed him. He woke up with me kissing him. He was funny and kind of half scared and sort of half eager at the same time. I'd had a pretty liberal education, as you can well imagine. I guess it was pretty sad. Two kids being as awkward and fumbling as you can possibly imagine there on that hill in the shade. But awkward as we were, it happened. We hardly talked at all on the way back. I knew enough to be damn scared. But fortunately nothing happened. From then on we were different with each other. It got to be something we did whenever we had a chance. It got better and better for us. But we weren't friends the way we were before. Sometimes we seemed almost to be enemies. We tried to hurt each other. It was a strong hunger. We found good places to go. It lasted for a year and a half. We never talked about marriage or things like that. We lived for now. There was one place we would go. We'd take one of the boats and... She stopped abruptly. We looked into each other's eyes. Now you know where he meant? I asked her softly. I think I do. Where? I don't think we can handle it that way. Do you? How do you mean? I think we'd better go there together. Don't you? There's nothing to keep you from going there by yourself, Antoinette. I know that. What would it mean if I told you I won't? In spite of the money, hunger? I would be honest with a thing like this. I would. Believe me. I'd have known nothing about it. How much is there? 
I waited several moments, measuring her and the situation. I couldn't get to it without her. Nearly sixty thousand, he said. She sat down abruptly, saying a soundless, Oh, how, how would Timmy get hold of money like that? He did all the book work for the four companies he and his brother owned. He took over two years milking that much in cash out of the four companies. Why would he do that to George? It doesn't sound like Timmy. He planned to run off with Eloise. That thing George married? That pig? I knew her. Where is she? She went off with another man two years ago. Maybe she took the money with her. Timmy said she didn't know where he buried it. And she'd hardly be able to find it. I can guarantee that. So this is George's money then, isn't it? I waited a moment. Yes, it is. But it was already stolen. That's right. And nobody knows about it. George doesn't suspect. Nobody knows about it but you and me, Tal. There's another one who knows about it. A man named Earl Fitzmartin. He was in the camp, too. He didn't know about the name Cindy. Now he does. He's smart. He may be able to trace the name to you. What's he like? He's smart and he's vicious. So are a lot of my friends. I don't think they're like Fitz. I don't think you could go with Fitz and find it and come back from wherever you went to find it. That is, if it was a quiet place, and he could put you where he dug up the money. Like that? I think so. I think there's something wrong in his head. I don't think he's very much like other people. Can you and I, can we trust each other, Tal? I think we can. We shook hands with formal ceremony. She looked at me quizzically. How about you, Tal? Why are you after the money? like they say about climbing mountains, because it's there. What will it mean to you? I don't know. I have to find it first. And then all of a sudden it's going to be some kind of an answer to everything? Maybe. What fouled you up, Tal? What broke your wagon? I don't know. I can place most people. I can't quite place you. You look like one type. You know, played ball in school, sells bonds or something, working up to a ranch-type house, a Brooks wardrobe, and some day winter vacations in Bermuda after the kids are in college. You look like that all except the eyes, and the eyes don't look like that at all. What do they look like? The eyes on the horse that knows they're going to shoot him because he was clumsy, busted his leg. When do we go after the money? She stepped to the kitchen door and looked at the clock. You'd feel better if we stayed together until we get it, wouldn't you? I guess I would, but it isn't essential. Your faith is touching. Didn't the police give you the word? They said something about a cute variation of the badger game. It was very cute. They couldn't convict. And it was very dishonest, Tal. But it wasn't a case of fleecing the innocent. It was pulled on some citizens who were trying to make a dishonest buck. Like this. I tell them my boyfriend is on one of the wheels at the Aztec. I tell the sucker the wheel is gimmicked. That my boyfriend is sore at the house. The sucker has to have two or three thousand he wants trebled. 
I say I can't go in with him. I give him a password to tell the boyfriend. So they let him win six or seven thousand. He comes here with the money. The boyfriend is to show up later. But when the boyfriend shows up, he is with a very evil-looking citizen who holds a gun on him. Gun has a silencer. Evil type shoots boyfriend. With a blank. Boyfriend groans and dies. Evil type turns gun on sucker. Takes the house money back, plus his two or three, and one time, twelve thousand. Sucker begs for his life. Reluctantly granted. Told to leave town fast. He does. He doesn't want to be mixed up in any murder. House money goes back to house. I get a cut of the take. I love acting. You should see me tremble and faint. Suppose he doesn't come back here with the money. They always have. They like to win the money and the girl, too. They think it's like in the movies. Now will you trust me out of your sight? I'll have to, won't I? I guess that's it. You'll have to, she smiled lazily. I have some errands. You can wait here. I'm going places where you can't go. You can wait here, or you can meet me here. It's going to take three or four hours. By then it's going to be too late to go to the money today. We can go after it tomorrow morning. How are we going to divide it up? Shouldn't we count it first? But after we count it. She came toward me and put her hands on my shoulders. Maybe we won't divide it up, Tal. Maybe we won't squirrel it away. It's free money. Maybe we'll just put it in a pot and spend it as we need until it's all gone. Maybe we'll see how far we can distribute it. We could spread it from Alcapulco to Paris. Then maybe we won't be restless anymore. It would buy some drinks to Timmy in some nice places. I felt uneasy. I said, I'm not that attractive to you. I know you're not. I like meaner-looking men. She took her hands away. Maybe to you I'm like they used to say in the old-fashioned books, damaged goods. Not visibly. She shook her head. You kill me. It was just an idea. You seem nice and quiet, not demanding. Let's say restful. You said you don't know what you'll do with the money. I said, maybe I'll know when I get it. But if you don't, then we'll talk some more. You'll wait here? I'll meet you here. At 5.30. She said she had to change. I left. I wondered if I was being a fool. I had lunch. I didn't have that much appetite. I went to a movie. I couldn't follow the movie. I was worrying too much. I began to be convinced that I had been a fool. She wasn't the sort of woman to trust. I wondered by what magic she had hypnotized me into trusting her. I could imagine her digging up the money. Once she had it, there was nothing I could do. I wondered if my trust had been based on some inner unwillingness to actually take the money. Maybe subconsciously I wanted the moral problem off my hands. She wasn't back at 5.30. I waited in the lobby. I was sweating. She came in at a quarter to six. She looked pale and upset. We rode up in the elevator together. She gave me the key to open the door. Her fingers were cold. She kept biting her lip. Once we were inside, she began to pace. What's the matter? Shut up. Let me think. Go make some drinks. That thing there is a bar. Scotch on the rocks for me. I made the drinks. 
After hers was gone, she seemed a little quieter, more thoughtful. Sorry for being bitchy, Tal. I'm upset. My errands didn't work out the way I expected. Some people seem to have the idea that just because I was in on the festivities, I belong to the house. You don't need details. I have some funds around, here and there. I got to the bank in time. That was fine. But it wasn't so good on the funds that are in, shall we say, safekeeping. I got some of them. Not all that's coming to me. Not by a hell of a lot. I'm not supposed to be able to take off. I made the mistake of saying I was thinking about it. They gave me some strong arguments. I made like changing my mind. Still, I was tailed back. How do you like that? The hell with them. They might even be thinking of a hijack job. Now I know I've got to get out of here. I think I've got it worked out. Will you help? I guess so. I'm leaving for good. I can't make it tomorrow. Maybe tomorrow I can pick up a little more of what's due me. You drive over here Thursday morning. There's a back way out of here, through the cellar. I can grease the superintendent. Park on the parallel street back of here. Be there at ten sharp, ten in the morning. I'll come out the back way, and away we'll go. But, damn it, I hate to leave so much stuff behind. A whole wardrobe. Is it dangerous? I don't know how rough they might get. I just don't like the sound of it. I don't like being patted on the shoulder and being given a big toothy grin and being told, There, there, little Tony. You don't want to leave town. We all love you too much. I said, I could stay here until after dark, and you could pack things, and I could take them out, maybe, a couple of suitcases. You sure you want to? I'm willing to. If someone followed you, they don't know I'm here now. You could leave before I do. They'd follow you. Then I can take the stuff out to my car. That should work out all right. Gosh, it would really help. I put a lot of money in clothes. I think it would be better than trying to get the stuff out in the morning, even with your help. I want to move fast and smoothly. Stay away from the windows. She spent a lot of time packing. It was dark when she finished. She filled two big suitcases. They bulged and they were heavy. Leave them wherever you're staying when you come back from me. It's a motel. Get me a room, too, please. She seemed to relax then. I think it's going to work out, Tal. They sort of scared me. I know a lot. I don't plan to do any talking. That's what worries them, I think. You don't know how much I appreciate this. I'll make it up to you. She wanted to be kissed, and I kissed her. There was an eagerness and warmth and sensuality about her that made it a shock to touch her and hold her. We rocked off balance as we kissed, caught ourselves, smiled a little sheepishly. For now, she said. I took the suitcases into the hall. She went on down. I waited there for fifteen minutes, and then I went down. The clerk was very dubious about my leaving with suitcases. He seemed about to speak, but didn't know quite what to say. I was gone before he had phrased the objection. I put the suitcases in the back seat and drove to Hillston. I ate at a drive-in on the edge of town. I took the suitcases back to my motel room. They were an alien presence there, almost as vivid as if she were there with me. I stowed them in the closet. End of chapter 8